Vision has just the right mix of music, inspiration and fun to kickstart your day. Rise and shine with Fel and DJ. Weekdays at breakfast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. You might have noticed some significant developments across the entire Christian church that so many are finding very disturbing. The ability of the bigger Christian church denominations to maintain a conservative Christian position on sexual ethics is getting harder and harder. Anglicans are the latest church to experience a division where the General Synod of the Australian Anglican Church has been debating its stance on human sexuality. A recent vote to affirm the church's traditional position on marriage was strongly supported by both clergy and laity, but was narrowly rejected by the bishops. A split in the Anglican Church is looming, and some say it is inevitable. We're looking to try and understand these developments today with Dr. Mark Jury, a senior research fellow teaching theology and Islamic studies at Melbourne School of Theology, and he's director of the Institute for Spiritual Awareness. Mark Jury is a pastor, he's an academic, he writes on the connection between faith and culture, freedom of religion, persecuted minorities, and discipling new Christians. Dr. Mark Jury, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's great to be with you again. Mark, right from the outset, this division that's developing in the Anglican Church, it's not just about sex, is it? No, it's not. It's about a whole worldview, a way of um, of finding theological meaning in the midst of life. Um, and it's uh, it, it affects everything, really. I mean, there's one, a couple of authors in the US have even suggested that the progressive versus more conservative trends in American Christianity are, are causing almost two different religions to emerge across the country. It's, uh, it's It runs pretty deep. Okay. Progressive and conservative. Uh, this is challenging for some because uh, they're hearing about progressive politics and relating that to the left. They're hearing about conservative politics and relating that to the right. How does that work in Christian circles. Uh, is there an insight here? Because sometimes Christians look at these things just a little differently. Yes, well, Immanuel Kant wrote a very famous uh, um, article, um, essay called What is Enlightenment? And he basically said that um, the Enlightenment perspective, just going back to the 18th century now, is that human beings should not be bound by uh, doctrines of churches or uh, statements made by councils that every generation should be free to sort of reinvent itself and improve itself, become more rational, more enlightened, to set aside the things of the past. In fact, he said that uh, no one can bind future generations in any way. And um, in a way that's being played out today, uh, there's a trend on the one hand that you see a trend in Western Christianity to say, yes, let's reconsider everything. Let's you know reconsider their fundamentals and change some of them, including sexual ethics. Um, and and another another trend that says no, we need to hang on to the faith and the morality and the teachings of the church as they were delivered to us by the apostles and and have been upheld by tradition. So um, that's that's the kind of key distinction between progressive, meaning we're moving into a better future, we're becoming more enlightened spiritually than we were in the past, 
versus conservative in the sense of, no, we've been given a faith and it, it, we need to hold on to that and remain true to what's been established there. Is it important here to recognise that it's not just the Anglicans, and we're going to focus on the Anglicans today, but it's not just the Anglicans who have in recent decades gone through some issues uh, that have divided along these progressive versus conservative lines? It, It isn't just the Anglicans. I think every denomination is affected to some degree or others, Um, And there are some affected more than others. So um, there were some very interesting reports done by the uh, National Church Life Survey uh, team um, about six years ago, seven years ago, which showed that um, Australian churches, for example, can be spread along a continuum in terms of their attitudes to human sexuality. So on the one hand, at one extreme, you've got, say, the Uniting Church, where there's a high tolerance or a higher tolerance of um, sex outside marriage, of adultery, and uh, also same-sex marriage. And at the other extreme, you'd say, have the Pentecostals and um, some of the Reformed churches that have a conservative Christian sexual ethic. And then you've got denominations that in the middle, like the Anglicans and Lutherans, Catholics, where people are quite divided. And this sort of division um, is is apparent all across the West, actually. You've got these, these two paths that are parting in a way, two different ways of thinking about about what it means to be Christian and different ways of thinking about progress and, and, and how we can evolve as a way in our, in our ethics and our, our views of things like human sexuality. So the trigger in all of these cases, uh, things that are happening within different denominations here in Australia and things that have happened in churches around the world, the trigger is always now uh, the endorsement of same-sex unions. Uh, it is the flashpoint, isn't it, that uh, that causes people to take sides? Yes, it brings um, the deeper worldview shifts into into focus. It's like this becomes the hill that people, uh, you know, want to die on, as it were. This is the it's a symptom, a test, really, uh, a litmus test of of the deeper issues. But it's not just about that. So. Um, it, it, you you would find that that a that a denomination that is more progressive in embracing same sex marriage will also have a higher tolerance of sex outside marriage or or adultery, and that's very clear in congregational surveys. Um, so it's it's a more pr- uh, progressive view of human sexuality in general. But you'll also find that those views are also associated with, for example, a more progressive view towards other faiths, uh, a more universalistic understanding of of, of different religions. Um, uh, it, it, it's it's a it's a whole spiritual worldview that that includes a range of different issues. The authority of the Bible is a major is a major divide, really fundamentally. Uh, does the the Bible have the authority to determine Christian morality and what Christians, um, how Christians live today? Or um, is that something that we're progressing, we're we're evolving and we're changing? So that's a very, you know, very kind of very deep level split that's happening amongst Christians in the West. No doubt listeners to our conversation today will recognise some of these things. Uh, The authority of the Bible, just how significant, how important is that for Christian faith? Uh, There's a certain sense here, when you start to take sides, Mark, 
you might say, who has the original line here? Uh, is it, if there's going to be division, conservatives who are leaving the progressives, or is it the progressives who are leaving the conservatives? How do you see that? Because if both sides think they're right, uh, which side is actually leaving the other? Yeah, that depends on the on the uh, how the split works, and I think both sides are acting in good conscience. So, um, the uh, the progressives are saying, you know, we, we it's an issue of human rights that we should uh, well, fully welcome people who are same sex attracted or or have same sex marriage partners. Uh, and on the other side, you have an equally held moral view, um, and whether who leaves who depends on the on the percentages. So. In New Zealand, a small number of Anglican churches have broken away from the New Zealand church. In, in North America, um, a larger proportion of the Episcopalian church broke away to form the Anglican Church of North America. In Australia, um, what's happened is that the Anglican church has turned out to be more conservative than most um, Anglican churches in the West, and so much so that 60% of the General Synod uh, rejected uh, accepting same-sex marriage, which um, that's not been the case. So in, in in other countries, so whereas in North America the conservatives had a, had to break away and leave the Episcopal Church, in Australia we're facing a situation where about half the diocese are going in a more progressive direction, and half the diocese are embracing a more traditional um, uh, view of of human sexuality. And so um, it's almost sort of down the middle in a way, although the, the, the numbers are more with the conservatives. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see what's going to happen. And one thing that's, that we see again and again is that where, um, where the conservatives are in a minority, they tend to leave and want to establish a purer church, as it were, for themselves. Um, where the conservatives are in a majority, they, they will generally try and hold on to the denomination but what the what the progressives do is they just ignore the denominational protocols and they tend to kind of push on with their agenda they don't separate they don't leave they just kind of keep pushing forward with their agenda and maybe not implementing standards or changing the standards uh, so there's different approaches the conservatives have some confidence in in replanting or starting afresh they're willing to leave their buildings and you know meet in a school hall um, but the progressives, not so much. They, they, they have a different strategy. How are you feeling, Mark? You're a proud Anglican. You've been an Anglican for a long time. And when this sort of controversy finally hits, and there's even the possibility of a split uh, in the Anglican church, how does that make you feel? Well, I do feel sad. I mean, I was born an Anglican. I was, you know, baptised in an Anglican mission field uh, cathedral in, in Papua. My parents were Anglican missionaries. My father's an Anglican minister. My brother's an Anglican minister. My brother-in-law is an Anglican minister. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a big part of my life. But, you know, I'm a Christian first. And um, and I think the the key issue for Australia is not whether the Anglican Church thrives or survives, but, you know, will the gospel keep going out? Will pe people keep turning to the Lord? And what we've seen, I think, is that where churches lose their way, God raises up others. You know, the, the Pentecostals are now the second largest grouping in Australia in terms of actual people in church on a Sunday. 
Um, and they've come from nowhere, uh, in a sense, over the last hundred years, while traditional denominations have declined. And and God brings life, you know, in, in new ways. So I have a lot of confidence about the future of the church, but difficult times ahead. I think the thing that really worries me the most is not that a division will happen. I think it's probably necessary to happen because the, the, the worldviews, these two worldviews are so at odds with each other. I, I don't see how they can easily coexist in, in the longer term. And one worldview, I think the progressive worldview, spiritually is headed for decline and diminishment and loss. And the other will endure because it always has. Uh, so it's not the fact that there's separation that's happening. But I, I am concerned that there could be a lot of trauma. Um, you know, very bitter struggles in America sometimes. Some churches have just had to walk away from all their facilities and property and start again. Um, and it's become a battle over over who owns, who gets the, the million dollar property, you know, and uh, I think that's very wasteful and pointless and is not doesn't bring honour to God. It doesn't help the gospel. So um, I, I hope that Australia can find a, um, a less fraught way forward. Um, it's partly just uh, going to happen inevitably, just gradually, slowly, the diocese will drift apart and they'll go their different ways. And so there'll be pain. I think another thing I find distressing is what I'd call denial. Like this process is happening. It's real. It's not going to, it's not going to be stopped. But the denial instinct is no, let's just carry on and ignore. Don't mention the war. <laughs> let's just, let's just pretend everything's fine. Um, and I think that leads to, that will lead to kind of pain and chaos and hurt in the end. So um, I wish that we could have sensible conversations about these things and and think in a forward, you know, think about the future and how can we find our way through to a viable future that's with as little trauma and damage as possible. I suspect having heard our introductory comments uh, in this conversation, Mark, uh, there'll be lots of listeners who may be dividing uh, to the right or to the left, that conservative or progressive uh, mindset. And there might be others who are in that third position that you're calling denial. Uh, Interesting to come back to these sorts of ideas around progressive and conservative because you have a tendency to think that when we think theologically about these things, we're not just thinking the same way as the worldly concepts of those which might have given to us the culture war, for instance, uh, where you've got left and right, that sort of divide. How do you see Christians and a theological view of fitting into this thought about progressive and conservative? Well, one interesting thing is I've been using the term progressive and conservative really about theology, but but these terms are obviously also used for culture and politics in other ways. And someone can be conservative um, theologically, but very radical and progressive in their in, in cultural ways, you know, and embrace culture. Uh, I know in my own church, you know, the the um, the progressive movements have often been culturally conservative in some ways, um, holding on to traditions. You know, the Pentecostals have been very radical culturally, but but theologically conservative. Um, I think the the difference in in politics between conservative and and progressive views is really a view about time. You know whether you think the future will be better and we're progressing, as Immanuel Kant said, and kind of getting better and evolving, or whether you you think no, actually the future could cause us to lose things that are of value from the past. I think that um, Christians need to be careful or wary about falling into either of those two camps because. 
our view of time is different. Like if you really believe that that human nature is both, you know, reflecting the image of God, so in a sense glorious, but also marred by sin, then you'll expect that the future could bring improvement or it could bring loss. And um, there are times when Christians should be steering clear of the left wing, and there are times when they should be steering clear of the right wing. And I, I don't think that you can um, that 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 we should align ourselves too strongly with either of those sides of politics. That we our view of time is somewhat different, and and we we actually don't expect. I think if you read the Bible and believe it, that that the future is going to always be better. We shouldn't be surprised when evil flourishes. We shouldn't be naive to think that. We just want to be on the right side of history. That the, the people in the future, you know, we our hope is that they'll think better of us. That's that's a very naive way of viewing about a human nature. Um, and we, yeah, we need to have an independence, I think, from those two different trends. Um, it's tricky because when I'm talking about the same-sex marriage split, I'm using progressive and conservative because it does fit that that idea that Emmanuel Kant had said of you know let's evolve you know in our thinking. Um, but I, I, I think Christians need to be wary of applying that grid to, to everything and to all their politics as well. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're in the deep end and our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. We are talking about what some are saying is a looming inevitable split in the Anglican Church. And it's not just the Anglican Church that's in the midst of all sorts of controversy around sexuality. Uh, other churches, too, have also had their times of trial and are going through those times of trial right now. You're welcome to join us in the conversation. 1-800-316-316. Dr. Mark Jury is our guest. MarkJury.com. He's been writing extensively about some of the shifts in the way we think and feel about being part of church, progressive, conservative, and those who are in denial. Mark, let me come back to just something we started to touch on, uh, but perhaps worth uh, expanding on a little, the Christian view of where you might sit on a spectrum, left and right. Where do we understand the thought of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness when it comes to this spectrum? Well, Christians live in the world, but we're not of the world. So if you follow the Jeremiah mandate of seeking the well-being of the city in which you live, we should honour the state and seek to help it do as well as we can. So we need to be involved in the political process. It's part of our duty as members of society, and we should express our views out of deep-held conviction. But at the same time, we should be aware that we have another world in view, which is um, the the world that is to come and, and that is breaking into the present, which is God's kingdom. And that's our fundamental allegiance is to that, is to serve the kingdom of God. And so what that means is that we need to keep calling people to follow Jesus. We need to be discipling ourselves and others in that. And we need to be very clear that this is quite a different project from just building a healthy society. It's not the same thing. You know, seeking the ways of God is a different thing from um, establishing a, a, a civic society. A the healing of, the, of, of broken lives, seeing people come to faith, seeing the power of God working in people's lives is is you know for the christian the main game but we have these other responsibilities 
as well. Uh, sometimes Christians think that the social project, the, the political project, is actually the only project. And that's um, that's a deadly position to be in. You know that that's a that's a path of decline because really, um, the message of Jesus is about personal transformation. It's, it's about people changing their lives by being connected to the Spirit of God and to the message of the gospel. And that needs to be at the centre of everything that we we do. Is it the case you think that if you find yourself on that spectrum and you say, "Well, I'm a conservative, and I know I need to fight for that," uh, perhaps a spiritual battle and also the political battle. If you're a progressive, you're going to see yourself in the middle of a battle. It's a for you maybe a spiritual battle, but also that uh, battle that's in the political realm. But if you are the person who's in denial, Mark, uh, you're probably the sort of Christian who wants to distance yourself from the politics. Does denial and distancing yourself from actually rolling up your sleeves, do those go hand in hand, do you think? Yeah, I think people don't like conflict sometimes and they don't want to have to be rejected by others. So taking sides can lead to that sense of rejection. You can find yourself out of a job or losing friends. Um, so people don't like to, to, to be caught in the middle. And um, so sometimes people just kind of shut up and keep their head down. But I, I don't think that's a great strategy. It's not what Jesus commended. You know, you should let your light shine and I think be open and and transparent. I think if whatever position you hold, like if it's in terms of politics, if it's conservative or progressive, you just need to be aware that there are dangers in both in both sides, you know, that if if being conservative means holding on to something that's not good, that's against God's will and plan, then then you're in trouble. And there've been examples of conservative movements like that. Um, on the other hand, if being progressive is embracing uh, values in a future that are actually contrary to the word of God and, and actually deny the reality of human sin uh, and the seriousness of that, then you're in trouble there as well. Um, I think with regard to the issue of faith, um, you know, the progressive view that is that we should just go evolve in our theology, that's just completely contrary to the Bible. It, it's it's not it's not what the Bible says. You know, the Bible says that God has spoken through Christ and we we need to heed that word and be faithful to it. So I think it's important not to let your political progressivism determine your Christian stance on, on, on what is the truth. Um, that's a, there's, there's a real danger for that for many people. Avoiding conflict, one of those issues that for some in the church where they'll say, well, the church will do a whole lot better if it doesn't rock the boat if it becomes a little more like the world. Uh, just because there's some progressive things happening outside it doesn't mean those things ought not to be adopted inside. Uh, what you're saying here is there's a real problem with that. Yeah, so that's a quite a widely held view amongst people on the more progressive end of Christianity. They would say, oh, the reason the church is declining is it hasn't gotten with the times. We haven't embraced contemporary views of human sexuality or of, of gender identity and and that's why the churches are empty, that we haven't uh, moved with the, with, the, with the secular ethos of our time. I think that's very, very mistaken. You know, that's, there's, there's no evidence, I think, that the churches that just embrace the current um, morality are the ones that will endure. I mean, why go to church if all the church is doing is preaching 
what you're receiving in your newspapers and from Hollywood and, and you know, uh, what's just the culturally dominant views on many issues. So going to church is costly. You have to get up in the morning when you'd rather be in bed. You have to pay money to the church in order to employ the pastor. Um, you, there are disciplines involved. You have to be repentant. This is not easy. And um, and if, 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 if the outcome of all that is that you just become the vanilla kind of human being of the contemporary culture, that, that, that's, that's, that's not going to be a reason to get out of church. But if you get out of bed in the morning to go to church, but, but if you believe that God is calling you to live radically in a different way, that, that God is calling you to, to not just go with the flow and the current of contemporary culture, that's actually a reason to belong. And to and to contribute and to serve sacrificially, so I think it's a it's been a great mistake for many more progressive-minded Christians to say, oh, we should just embrace the contemporary shift. You know, same-sex marriage is now standard in our culture. Let's just embrace that. If we don't, we'll alienate people. It's not actually working like that. The churches that are growing, that are thriving in the West, and there are many that are. Um, they are not going down that track. Um, they are following a biblical morality of, of sexuality, um, and you can you can see it really in in the in the trends of how a set of beliefs all kind of move together, and people find themselves can find themselves really drifting away from biblical biblical morality altogether after they've embraced a contemporary secular morality. Biblical reality uh, on sexuality, you're talking about rediscovering the timeless truth. And if you talk about timeless truth, you might have a debate over whose truth is timeless. But doesn't that lead us back to looking to Jesus, uh, the author and finisher of our faith, uh, the one who is central in the whole of Scripture? Doesn't uh, discovering timeless truth start with Jesus? Yes, it does. It, it's a conviction that he speaks the truth to us and that we, we he calls us to follow him. It's a conviction that that's a costly calling. Uh, if you choose to follow Jesus, you're like a dead man or a dead woman walking, really. He said, take up your cross and follow me. And it's costly. Um, just to give you a very simple example, um, it's costly if you're a young couple and you're planning to get married. It's costly in a certain sense to live apart and not have sex before marriage because it's pleasurable to have sex and as you enjoy each other's company and the culture says it's fine. And I observed in the years when I was marrying people that the couples that were living separately uh, were Christians and they were making a costly decision based on their desire to follow Jesus and his teaching about sexual morality. Um, but those that weren't, that didn't have that conviction to follow Jesus, uh, they generally were um, following the standard accepted norm in our culture which is that there's nothing wrong with sex outside marriage and it's it's not really an issue so when someone chooses to follow jesus it impacts the way you treat people it impacts the way you use your money it impacts how you have sex and who you have sex with and um it, it it's it's very pervasive it, but it starts from a conviction like jesus has called me and jesus is is calling me to follow him and to live as he's taught and then that has all these other consequences for how you live. We'll take some calls in just a few moments, but Mark Jury, let's come back to the controversy for a few moments because if the clergy and the laity both wanted to preserve a traditional view of marriage, 
Where is it that the bishops can overrule that? Any thoughts here on the processes that are at work in the Anglican Church? So the the clergy and the laity uh, represent um, the dioceses around Australia. The Anglican Church has 20 or so dioceses, which are regions, and the clergy and the laity represent basically the the numbers of of clergy across the different regions, you know, the total number. Uh, but the bishops are the diocesan bishops. These are the people that are the, the lead bishop of their diocese. So they there's sort of one vote per diocese amongst the bishops, if you like. And the fact that the bishops rejected the motion to reject same-sex marriage reflects the fact, and that it was only very, it was very, very close, like it was almost 50-50. Um, that reflects the fact that the Anglican diocese in Australia are going in different directions. You know, Sydney is going in a very different direction from Perth. And what's been happening uh, in recent decades is that that split has become clearer so that um, now, more than, say, 20, 30 years ago, the dioceses are sort of separating in a way from each other as to whether they have a more progressive spirituality or a more conservative uh, spirituality. And the bishops are elected by the diocese, typically, but they also appoint all the clergy. They license all the clergy in their diocese. So they reflect the spiritual um, orientation of the diocese and they also determine it and shape it. So what we're seeing is that those dioceses are, are going in different directions. Um, and and it, it's it, so at the moment, I, the way I would take that bishop's vote is that the dioceses are split 50-50 in terms of the actual number of dioceses. The challenge is, however, for the progressives is that the um, the conservative dioceses overall have larger numbers and, and they're, they're keeping people in church better. Um, I mean, Sydney Diocese and Brisbane Diocese, Br- Brisbane is more progressive, but, but Sydney has a um, similar number of census Anglicans in Sydney, but five times as many people in church. So um, there's a big disparity between how well dioceses are actually holding on to people and keeping them active in their faith. And it's the conservative ones that have the numbers. And that's affecting, that's why 60% of the clergy and laity at General Synod have a more conservative view. So that split is happening regionally across Australia, really. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Graham in Burnie, Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome. Good morning, gentlemen. Look, you know, we're living in terrible times. Uh Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, please read those people out there. These will tell you where you this world is going to. Second Thessalonians, Paul says, they love not truth that they might be saved, and God will send them a strong delusion that they will believe a lie. We're heading into those days right now. Anyone that loves God, keep the commandments, keep the Bible, acknowledge Christ as the head of the church. Mark Jury, your thoughts for Graham? Yeah, well, Graham is a, a Bible-believing Christian. He's, uh, his view that he's just expressed is very characteristic of, of the conservative view. That is, Romans 1 rejects uh, homosexual acts and describes them as um, sinful. So he's saying, basically, um, we shouldn't be surprised that people are uh, going in that direction, and he's affirming a traditional conservative view. So that's that's very typical, I think, of 
of, um, of, of people on that, on that quite strict, like we should believe the Bible. This is what the Bible says about human sexuality. We need to hold on to the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Graham, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Some might be thinking, Mark, is all lost with the bishop's vote? at the synods, uh, overruling the clergy and the laity. Uh, But there is a certain sense, isn't there, that uh, synods are ongoing and this debate will continue on, but at grassroots level there will be effect. What are your thoughts for whether all is lost or whether this is just an ongoing debate? You have to ask where does the power really lie and like in congregational traditions, the power really lies in the local church to determine their own future. In the Anglican system, it's the diocese and the bishop, the individual diocese that really determine its path. And so whatever happens at General Synod, local dioceses will make their own decisions. And so what you'll see is a, a divergence at the diocesan level. So um, I think that the, the vote at General Synod, the rejection slight majority of the bishops you know choosing not to reject same-sex marriage will encourage and empower those progressive dioceses that that as an issue of social justice believe that they should embrace same-sex marriage so you'll see um, a kind of trend it's, it's inevitable that they they'll have to say we have to do this at some point or other but it'll be at the diocesan level i'm sure that general synod will keep meeting in the years ahead and these issues will keep coming up but what we've seen is that the trend towards a conservative majority, which reflects the strength of the conservative position around Australia, w- will continue. Um, you know, in, in in a diocese like Melbourne, the, the more progressive churches have, have very small numbers of children and youth attending, and they're, they're demographically in deep trouble. And so in the Australian church, we've sort of passed a tipping point in that sense that that the the general synod will will not embrace same sex marriage um, in the in the years ahead. So you, what you're going to see is locally churches that want to go in that direction, bishops and dioceses they will, and that's when the split will begin to kind of work its way through the system. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. You might like to have your say. Let's take another call. Katerina is in Kapunda in South Australia. Hello, Katerina. Welcome. Hello, Neil, and, and your guest. Sorry, I forgot your name. It's Mark. Um, Mark. Um, look, re- really, what what it is is that it is just apostasy throughout the churches, and unfortunately, these are the people who then teach the parishioners who 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 a lot of them, you know, they don't read their Bible properly, they don't understand it, you know, and if the if the hierarchy of the churches can't or won't support what God says, what Jesus puts in the Bible there, then they should be starting their own religion and go and worship Baal, you know, and and have a feel-good religion that accepts everything because God doesn't accept anything, everything, you know, because when, when we die, if you're a believer, you know, you go to heaven. If you're not, God doesn't accept everything. He doesn't accept homosexuality, he doesn't accept drunkenness, he doesn't accept lies and and it, all the bad things, you know? And Katerina, by I think uh, we can hear there's a frustration in the way you're expressing this. Uh, Mark, for Katerina, what are your thoughts? 
Well, I think I think what the church teaches does have a big impact, and um, there are certainly lots of churches that uphold uh, a biblical view of human sexuality. And yes, she's right. The lay people are affected by what they're taught, but they also the lay people also have a powerful role. They they often have a big role in pointing their clergy. So people get the pastors that they choose sometimes. So it's not just it's not just that they follow. Um, but she's right. The teaching uh, has a big impact, and that's in the Anglican system. It's the bishops that license the clergy. So the bishops of the diocese have a huge um, potential to influence uh, the direction that, that the diocese goes in. Um. Katerina, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Jonathan is in Perth in WA. Hi, Jonathan. Yeah, hello. What are your thoughts, Jonathan? Yeah, yeah according to what the guy was saying, you see that uh, many people are are now reading the scripture according to even they had about four five five four ministry have been called by God according to Paul. I don't know why the structure of the bishop then they say Dauxi and the bishop. Bishop pastors and teacher overseer they are all the same. So where the which structure coming from the the clergy you call clergy again they make decisions then the the bishop coming and try to change everything according to the teaching of Jesus Christ and other apostle. Why are they breaking different teaching again? The sure. bishop coming and changing everything. Who are the bishop? I think pastor and the teacher, and they, they were the all pastor overseer. They are the one that lead in the church. Pastor is called bishop. He called overseer. He called teacher also. So where did people come in for a call and say bishop? They're changing everything. Jonathan, important insights you're bringing here. Uh, Mark, your thoughts for Jonathan? Yes, I think Jonathan's right. The role of the bishop in the Anglican tradition is to defend the faith and to hold to the faith once delivered to the saints. Um, and it, it, this is a, a, a key objection that would be made by those with a more conservative persuasion, theologically, of the progressives, that the progressives are actually stepping away from the faith of Jesus Christ. Um, the progressives might disagree with that, but yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very common objection and and this becomes actually a, a core issue like are you really upholding the faith or are you turning away from it and this that 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 sense of division on that issue becomes uh, a reason for people to separate you know if it becomes very difficult in in say a progressive diocese if a, if a congregation doesn't agree with the way the diocese is going like how can they they get to a tipping point where they they feel they really need to separate and uh and and step away from from the diocese, and that's that's the challenge that we'll be seeing in 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 Australia in some dioceses in the years ahead. Jonathan, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Mark, there's a question that comes out of some of those things that Jonathan was reflecting, and that might be as to what. Uh, Anglican Church uh, leaders and teachers are learning in theological colleges. Uh, oftentimes it's how we're shaped in the training to lead uh, that might be reflected in the way we teach. Any thoughts here about what might be happening at that deeper level of preparing ministers for leadership? Yes, and I think I think the, the division that you see between the diocese, the regional divisions in Australia, are also playing out at the level of theological colleges as well. 
So some colleges will lean towards a more progressive view of human sexuality and others towards more conservative views. So it makes a big difference where you do your training. And some dioceses have their own training college. So if the bishop and the diocese and the training college are going in one direction, that will get a kind of momentum and it will tend to embed the particular trend of that diocese across across the whole of the church. I mean, Anglicans in the in the past have prided themselves of having a diversity of views on lots of issues. That people use the word broad church, you know. But I think what we're seeing now is that um, there's a polarization happening, and it's certainly happening in the in the theological colleges as well. I mean, a candidate for ministry who wants to be ordained or feels called to ministry will have to ask, you know, what kind of theological college am I going to attend? You know, what what view of sexuality will they be teaching? What view of the human person or of biblical authority will they teach? These are these are really pressing issues for people seeking to be trained in ministry at the present time. And uh, for listeners, uh, when you mention there's a conservative streak in the Sydney Anglicans, but if you go north to Brisbane or south to uh, Victoria to Melbourne, uh, you've got a progressive view that's happening there. Would that be happening in the theological colleges uh, of those cities? Yeah, so Sydney um, has a strong conservative theological college, Moore College, um, Brisbane, St. Francis College, there's just one theological college, Anglican College in Brisbane Diocese. In Melbourne, there are two colleges, there's Trinity College and Ridley College. Ridley was formed by evangelicals over 100 years ago. So so those two colleges have a have different ethos. So Melbourne Diocese is actually not uh, predominantly progressive. It's, uh, it's a mixed diocese. And um, the, the the trend has been towards more conservative positions in Melbourne Diocese. So you've got the diocese like Sydney that's solidly conservative. You've got a diocese like Brisbane that's majority progressive, but Melbourne is is more um, is more split with a with slight majority, I'd say, of more conservative views and two different theological colleges with clergy on different tracks in terms of their training experience as well. So it's, it's really quite complex and, and difficult, I think, to manage. We're taking calls. Let's hear from Lynette, who is in Lightning Ridge in New South Wales. Hello, Lynette. Welcome along. Hello. Thank you very much. Um, I don't think it's a matter of conservative or whatever views because they're coming from man. The word of God comes if God breathes, as the word says. And very little material is broadcast when this topic was debated seriously and, and voting took place. Um, I believe I people who ask me my response, and I'm just a lay person, um, was that you Google the Bible and put in the word abomination, and there's a stack of scriptures that makes it very, very clear that it's totally unacceptable. The Bible is our true north, and that is our compass when we walk in to hear a minister preach. And then if it's not exactly what that word says then it's totally not appropriate. Wonderful stuff, Lynette. Uh, response from you, Mark? I think that's... Uh, Lynette's put a finger on an issue, which is that the Bible is has very strong views on, on sexual morality, not just same-sex relations, but also uh, sex outside marriage and adultery. These are actually classical um, parts of Christian ethics, uh, and it is pretty clear, and that's that's really the stumbling block uh, that, that's uh, 
causing a co- that's driving this split, I believe. And it then it fundamentally comes down to your view of the Bible and your view of the role of people in um, in developing their beliefs. And if you have the view that you should stay true to what the Bible says as the primary guide, that's the kind of standard that sets the standard for theology, then you will you will tend towards affirming the, the traditional view of human, um, uh, the traditional Christian view of human sexuality, because it is pretty clear. Uh, one way of putting it is the Bible is a is a pretty heteronormative book. You know, it sees heterosexual uh, relationships as being the norm and in that sense the bible is at odds with where contemporary culture has gone and this issue is is um is working its way through the churches uh, these days yeah lynette thank you so much for your call let's squeeze one more call in sean is in rochdale in queensland hi sean welcome hi how are you doing good what are your thoughts sean I don't know whether you guys have already touched on this, but um, I've got a couple of friends who are in the Anglican Church as priests, um, and I worshipped as an Anglican for about 22 years. I've actually changed the denominations now, um, just due to lifelessness in the church. But going back to my two friends, uh, what I got from them, and which was also echoed by things that I've seen in the church, was that when you become a priest, you must toe the party line. In other words, whatever the Archbishop says to the bishops, that's what the priests and diocese must follow. Um, if they're not followed, yeah, if it's brought up, they are brought before the uh, Archbishop and this must be a please explain. And it's probably the reason why we have such a shortage now of priests in the Queensland area, especially, especially out that Queensland, because it's $27,000 now to train a priest, but they're feeling a little bit dejected and neglected, even if you like, that they can't be themselves enough to follow God's word, first and foremost, because, oh, if I don't do the right thing, I'm going to be Archbishop or the regional bishop breathing down my neck. And I think that does not help the people. I know it didn't help me, um, and, and rightly so, the, each uh, church parish has the obligation of actually choosing their next minister and yeah, the area I was looking at choose to come through and it ruined a lot of um, uh, just ruined a lot of it for a lot of people and we've had a lot of people leave Sean, making some strong points there, and Mark Jury, your thoughts for Sean? Well, I think that Sean points to something really important, that people can leave their church and join another church. They, people are not so wedded to, say, Anglican identity as they once were. Um, and they, they'll move to another city and they'll maybe go to a Baptist church or Church of Christ. And what they're looking for is something that is that fits their own spirituality, but not necessarily their own denomination. I think... Um, whether clergy have more freedom in dioceses does vary from diocese to diocese. So I, I, as I had 20 years in serving in ministry and I, had, I found nothing but support and helpful relationships with the bishops and, and the archbishops that I served under. And um, so I, I had a very positive experience of Anglican church hierarchy, but it can be um, more constraining and difficult in some, in some contexts. The other thing is... Um, you know, make the point that the congregation appoints the minister. Yes and no, but but it's actually the bishop that licenses the minister. And if the bishop or the archbishop 
of that diocese doesn't want someone to be in ministry in their diocese, they can and do veto that person. So um, in the end, the in, in the Anglican system, the bishop is a really very significant player in determining the, the theological character of a diocese and, and how it develops. He also mentioned the shortage of clergy, which is a big issue. And, you know, if young people are leaving the church, where are your clergy going to come from? And if, if, your, if your congregation is full of baby boomers or, or older, then you, you, you haven't got a future. So it's really striking to me when I was looking at the statistics of attitudes to human sexuality that younger generations tend to have more conservative Christian perspective. Younger generations of people in church, Christians who go to church who are younger, say in their 20s or 30s, have a more conservative um, view of, of human sexual expression than than older people. And actually, the, the people in church are becoming more um, orthodox, you might say, in terms of their attitudes to sexual morality, not less. Um, and that's also a problem for the progressive movement, like where are they going to find uh, clergy with a progressive outlook if, if, in fact, most of the younger Christians have a more conservative view? Uh, you know, Pentecostal church, one of the most conservative in terms of its sexual morality, also one of the youngest churches um, and so that's a that's a big challenge, the recruitment of clergy. And that's basically, I think, how the more progressive churches will struggle and decline is they, they will have trouble finding people willing to make the sacrificial choice to serve in ministry um, if they if they ha- if they don't have full Sunday schools and if they don't have youth groups. Um, they then their church does not going to have a future. Uh, one someone once said to me, God has no grandchildren, and I think that's true. Each generation needs to make a commitment to follow Jesus for itself. And um, if you're in a context where in your church there those young people aren't there, you can just run the, the you know run the clock through another 20, 30, 40 years and see that there there won't be people in that church. So this is this is the way demographic decline happens. Well, thank you so much to Sean in Rochdale. And time has run out. Uh, certainly food for thought as to what's going on in not only the Anglican Church, but in the major denominations everywhere. The thought that there might be a split along conservative progressive lines when it comes to the ideas around sexuality. And Mark Jury, for those who want to find some more of the articles that you've been writing about, uh, when people go to your markjury.com, that's D-U-R-I-E, markjury.com, what sort of articles have you got there for listeners to explore a little deeper some of the things we've been talking about today? Yeah, look, I've, I've got quite a lot of materials on uh, on Islam on my site, but I've also written about uh, how pe- Christians could think about politics, about um, issues to do with marriage, and there's a there's a long detailed argument on this split that's happening in the Anglican Church and also all around the world in the West, and food for thought to understand what's happening and, and what the trend will be in the future. So I think you'll find some, people will find some useful resources there. Mark Jury, wonderful insights today and listeners to look a little deeper and find some of those articles and Mark writes across a lot of different dimensions. MarkJury.com. That's D-U-R-I-E, MarkJury.com. Mark, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. It's great to be with you, Neil. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.